Hey, baby. Hey. Naomi and Andy here with yep. a quick cue slash request. Yes. So, okay, Acast is doing these audience surveys, okay? We put the link in the show notes. The link is going to be in the link tree on our on Instagram and everything like that. Here's the thing, Naomi. Yeah. You know, we're already pretty choosy about the ads right. that we allow on the show. No weapons manufacturers. Raytheon, get out of here. Yeah. Screw off, Raytheon. But we want to make sure that the ads are kind of tailored to y'all. Right. Okay? Right? Say you want to hear ads for a different world DVD box sets. We need to know that. We, we need can to go out that. to them. We can get the word <laughs> out. But we only can get the word out if you give us the word. So you got to fill out the survey. It is quick, quick, quick. And it just lets us know if the ads you're hearing are the right ads for you. Yeah. So get on over to the show notes where that link is or the Couples Therapy link tree and fill out that quick survey so we can pass the word on to ACAST. All right. Roll it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Open your hearts. Loosen your butts. It's time for Couples Therapy. Yeah, this podcast is Andy and Naomi's Where they can both laugh and hang with all their homies Talking excellent vacationing with brunches and cuddling To messy situationships and conscious and coupling From Netflix hookups to single them with some Hulu Text, sex, regrets, so feeling on your new jubu They gon' talk about it, ah, yeah, you are invited, ah Needing therapy, I guarantee, baby, we got it It's up, 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Couples Therapy. My name is Andy. And I'm Naomi. We're a real-life couple. A real-life couple of comedians. And on Couples Therapy, we answer a couple different questions from a couple different listeners. You really had me going there. That was almost walking-esque. Well... In the pauses. Right, because you're supposed to say, welcome to Couples Therapy, my name is Naomi. And you left a pause there, and that's when I jumped in. Okay, so keep this all in and let's do it again. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Couples Therapy. My name is Naomi. My name is Andy. And we're a real life couple. We're a couple of comedians. And on Couples Therapy, we answer a couple of different questions from a couple of different <laughs> listeners. You know what? That whole thing stays. Do not adjust it. Don't delete. Don't delete. Coming to you on Memorial Day herself. Yeah. Did well, you have a wonderful long weekend? Yes, we're recording this on Memorial Day, but. Uh. <laughs> everyone knows when the episode comes out. Stop it. Oh, he's so particular. It's like, what'd y'all do this long weekend? Did you go to a pool party? Did you have a hot dog? Skeet shooting. Did you shoot skeet? 
I don't even know what that is, but it sounds gross. Well, it was turned into a... I don't want to go into it. <laughs> Being sex neutral, uh, it was turned into a gross phrase, but <laughs> originally, I believe, it's just a, like, uh, it's those, like, little saucer things that uh, you see in, like, when uh, when uh, a rich person goes out to, like, a shooting range, and you see, like, a Clay little... Pigeon. Yeah. I think Clay that's, Pigeon. I think that's... Okay. I see, I see. I believe so. I, I think I prefer Clay Pigeon as a phrase instead mm. of skeet shoot. Any who's all, you guys, we're doing our best in a dark time in a weary world. I think that's a great way of putting it. That's it. We're doing our best. Should that be a t-shirt? Doing our best in a dark time in a weary world. When I had my last Elysian show, um, you know, I had each comic introduce the next. So uh-huh. Nico Santos introduced me and he's like, what do you want me to say? And I go, say she's trying her best. <laughs> like literally, even if it's my show, I'm still trying my damn best. Uh-huh. And I believe I did get up on stage and say, I am cramping. Thank you for your energy. Okay, I'm done pretending. I'm done lying. I think so. Yeah, I, I'm I've not been... somebody. Look, not, like I, it's not like I was really good at it before, uh-huh. but I'm really committed now to just being like, no, I'm not well. I How think, are you? I think that's good. I think the more people are honest, you don't have to necessarily. I'm not saying you do this, but you don't have to uh, drag people into the void with you. But you sure. can be honest about where you are in the void. I feel like I have really managed to make a whole brand out of complaining and being unhappy, <laughs> you know, so why stop now? Right. <laughs> why stop now? Just keep doing what you're doing. Welcome to the stage, Elmiak Paragon, the kvetching comedian. <laughs> ah, kvetching. That's, that would be you if you were in the if I was Maisel Naomi Times. Beckerman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Naomi Beckerman, kvetching comedian. Sure, you would have taken my last name like Maisel took, like she took Joel Maisel's last name. And I would have gotten up there and been like, it is hot in here, <laughs> isn't it? It's excessive. And that would have been honestly, honestly a really good start. Just mm-hmm. to talk about how uncomfortable you are in the physical space. Sure. You have told everyone else to come to. <laughs> That's very good. Um, you know, guys, I'm going to just go right into it and plug the page. I'm plugging the page. <laughs> I've already talked about a dark time in a weary world. I'm plugging the page. Dispensing with transitions. Just... No, no. We're done with these games. <laughs> Come to the page. Um, the podcast I co-host, I Love a Lifetime movie, um, I have been informed that it is coming to a close. And what that also means is that income is coming to a close. <laughs> no. A bulk of the income is coming to a close. So you know what? And we're on strike. And we on, well, they already know that shit. That's why they know. So I said, you know what? I'm going to need some page pals. I'm going to need some more page pals to keep the lights on, to keep these animals in finery. Okay, so if you can go to patreon.com slash couples therapy pod and join us for just five bones, you get two bonus episodes. And when I tell you we're spilling tea, I mean, it's all over. Get a mop. Okay, we're spilling it. We're spilling it on the page. And not just the business. We always talk about pulling back the sick curtain, but we're talking about our lives. We're getting into it in a way that we don't get to get into it here on the show because we have a lovely guest. Of course, of course. And so come join the page. We also do special episodes of the page. I have had some stand-up comedy run-throughs and tests for the page where I'm like, meet me at the Zoom if you're a page pal, and I am going to work on materials. So that's some of the fun you get there. Now, I mean, imagine this. The spilling the tea is an analogical mm-hmm. to the I Love Lucy episode where the chocolate conveyor belt goes out of control. Okay. Okay. That's that's how much tea. That's it. you know what it is. I guess spilled. the reason why I just went blank when you said that is because that is chaos. Uh, all right, that's going all over the place. She can't contain it. She's Lucy, but this is controlled tea. 
this is spilling, but it's not chaotic. It's like we know what's on the floor. And we said, put your feet up. It's like when somebody's trying uh-huh. to sweep around you and they go pull your feet up. That's what we're doing with the level of yeah, tea spillage. We're, so we're just, instead of like pouring the tea through the spout, we're just turning it over. I think it's through the spout, but I think it's directly <laughs> on the ground. I think it's directly on the ground, if that makes sense. It's like, here's your cup. Oh, no, your cup is overflowed. Stay with me. Uh-huh. We're not done pouring. <laughs> We're not done pouring. It's not empty yet. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's what happens on the page. You know, there's times where Andy has to even do some bleeps, because I'll be out here ready to name names. Because I assume that if you are part of the Patreon, you are a friend. You can be trusted. You are behind the paywall. And Andy was like, no, you are going too far. And I'll be like, I need a place to put this information. And what other place in the page? <laughs> <laughs> so i will put it out there because yeah we are trusting you to not <laughs> i know i'm really trusting you guys to not clip out anything and send it along don't you dare stop trying to ruin me okay i'm already down to one job which but this thing i was i i hesitated because i'm like the podcast is like it's you and me we're deep in love we do have some fun mm-hmm. so i'm like is it a whole job it's like half a job because I don't know if we would talk on recorded media as often as we do, if not for the podcast. So therein lies the work of it all. Right. But the actual like baseline of it is tenderness. I'll say it's work, but it's not a job. Interesting. Interesting. And I call it jobs work. <laughs> and I call it work jobs. Well, I think, Naomi, move into this new, par- move into the socialist paradigm with me. I won't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey i accept you for who you exactly, are exactly and that's beautiful i love that i said no thank you and you said okay huh? you said i accept i hear you je accept i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cajole you no i appreciate you not i'm cajoling. not i'm not andy at, at 15 years old who's saying like no you gotta like super chunk or you're a shitty person and that's true and the one rule you know and and I, he very much is married to a woman who does not like super chunk no and so that's growth on your part uh-huh. that's growth and change growth. speaking that's of change changed. what we got something big, babe. Oh. We got something big. For the first time since March 2020, Woo. we are going to do a live couples therapy here in Los Angeles, California. Beep, 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 beep. And we're doing it outside. Come yes, on, folks. Baby. We're still on brand. We're not changing the game just no. to do a show. No. We- I will not be inside unmasked. And so we were like, all right, where can we do this outside? We have found a place. Friday, July 7th, 7 p.m. You know what that is? 7, 7 at 7. All right, we're going to be at Permanent Records Roadhouse. That is here in L.A. on the east side. I believe Frogtown is what they call it. It don't matter. It's like on the east, on the edge of nowhere, like so many places. Mm. Not really edge of nowhere as much as it's one of those spots where you're like, where am I going? And then you see it almost like an oasis in the desert. That's a lot of L.A. vibe. You be driving, <laughs> you be like, where am I going? And then it just appears. And then it's like a perfectly nice, safe space. <laughs> and so... We are doing that show. We're doing it a little differently than before. We are answering audience questions. We're going to have a panel of comedians. So far, we've got Lacey Mosley, scam goddess herself, Nori Reed. We're coming through with more comics. But the point is, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be the first live show in over three years. Oh, yeah. my God. So we're going to have the ticket link up soon. But mark your cows if you in L.A. We will work on a live stream. It. Oh, yeah, we're going to live stream. We're going to live stream. So maybe if you're from home, too, if you don't live in L.A., you might be able to stream this bad boy. Get yourself, you know, make yourself a dinner. Put on the live stream on your TV. Yes, yes. That's a night. That's a Friday night. Live stream on a Friday night. What else are you going to watch Friday night? Ted Lasso's over, right? Ted Lasso's over. Succession is over. Barry, is Barry over? Barry's over. Somebody somewhere is over. over. I mean, what else is on HBO? What else are we watching? You mean Max? 
No, I said HBO <laughs> programming. I did not say Max oh on my purpose. God. I gotta, I gotta say this. So I watched. Max surprisingly has a decent film library. Okay. And yesterday I was uh, depressed on the couch and I wanted to watch something that would feed my soul. So I've never seen my dinner with Andre. So I watched it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the end, in the credits, Troma. Now, Troma, which is the kind of like schlocky film production company that made uh, the Toxic Avenger. Oh, okay. They did production services on My Dinner with Andre, a film starring Wallace Shawn that is directed by Louis Maul, I think. (laughs) You know, the Toxic Avenger people. I know, it's so funny because you did share this to stories and I didn't get it then. And I also don't get it now. Production services are production services. People got equipment. I don't know what's so wild about that. It's like, I bet they were the cheapest ones in the game. Like when you say, like it would be different if you were like, they directed it or they did whatever, like production services. But that would be like if Roger Corman did production services on The Godfather. Andy, I don't know what that means either. You know it. <laughs> I don't know Roger Corman. I know the name, but I don't know what the, what the name means. Like what's the implication of that? Like it's so wild for Roger Corman to do Godfather. I don't know sound like he was a guy who did stuff so you're gonna have to explain also the fact that you were feeding your soul with my dinner with andre is very funny to me which is just two men at a restaurant having a conversation i said really that's what lifts you up that feels excessive not excessive it feels impossible no naomi it's it's the perfect thing to feed my soul it was that or watch i didn't i didn't really want to read subtitles so i was gonna watch you know there's a lot of like godard films on sure that's also good for a little uplifting moment i didn't say uplifting i said feet like nurturing nurture nurture nurtured i didn't want nature right 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 right. andy is an indie auteur filmmaker underneath he just hasn't had a chance to act on it and so he's watching these movies and he's getting his creative juices flowing i will i thought about this yesterday i think one of my goals at least before the end is i want (laughs) to i want to make a film at least one yeah like shoot it like direct it like make it like indie film wow all right so is there anyone who's like independently wealthy listening to this because you've got to cultivate those relationships yes it's actually not about talent at all it's about having connection to independently wealthy people and or people who are looking to launder funds right so how do we so if anyone's listening if you know somebody if you have a shady uncle you know connect us because i think that is i actually have no doubt about your ability to write an interesting film that actually does not is not what concerns me are it you trying to launder going, money where are you going to get the funds are you are you trying to launder it what i don't care where it's from is this Andy will ill-gotten gains he don't care if it's ill-got as long as he gets some or are either of the duplass brothers listening wow get you in touch what? i imagine a duplass brother like only listens to podcasts that are educational this is educational. This <laughs> Naomi, no, no, no. not they only listen to humorless, uh, <laughs> charmless people drone about facts. I don't think so. I don't get that from their films. I would say you see him. I would say couples therapy is educational. Okay, couples therapy is nourishing. Oh wow. Okay, bolipori feeds your soul, feeds your brain. Wow, feeds mm-hmm. your spine. Okay, okay, feeds your spine. Yeah, because it gives you posture, poise. Can I talk about? Something else is nourishing. (laughs) Today's guest? Yes. (laughs) Because I did at one point say, you done cleared up my skin. Mm. Okay. Today's Mm. guest is Ryan Ken. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to say this. This is one of the things I I knew of Ryan from the internet. Exactly. Right? But no specifics. So this was the first time we sat down to talk and I've never been so obsessed. 
um, desperate to be a friend of uh-huh. someone for sure than Ryan Ken. They are an actor, a writer. They write on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, one of our couple shows. One of our couple shows, and <laughs> they are damn a damn delight. But bringing the real, mm-hmm. and that's what we're about on this show, mm-hmm. right? That's the that's the vibe. That's what we hope for. Okay, and Ryan is bringing it. So I'm gonna say, you know what? Again, couples therapy pod on patreon okay <laughs> july 7th at 7 p.m here in los angeles first couples therapy live and forever but you know what why don't we get to ryan roll it ryan you are coming to us from the d yes where it is normally so cold okay but you said spring is sprung i'm turning a look where are you at today? Where do you feel it emotionally? emotionally? That's yes, what I mean. Okay. Yes. Emotionally. Yeah. In your heart. Yeah. Okay. So I will say I, I have adjusted the scale. So I am a writer strike eight. I'm a normal times seven and a half. So oh. but you got to, you just kind of got a budget for like what you set your expectations. So I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. It's, it's like, a, I'm excited to do this. I was excited. I just got back from New York and I got to see some of my colleagues, which was exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm about as happy as you can be once your paycheck stops. Uh, okay. Okay. There's the parenthetical once the paycheck stops. Yeah, exactly. That I think that, that I think informs the rest of it. Yes. Yeah. I'm as yeah. cheery as you can be while you're fighting for your rights. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I've got. Hey, hey, that is a great, I've been trying to figure out how to characterize how I feel. Cause it's a very dual consciousness kind of feeling where personally I feel okay. Right. Like in yeah. my house, I'm okay. Apartment, <laughs> but I'm watching the American empire crumble around me. And I'm like, yes, huh? That doesn't feel, that doesn't feel great. Right. But it, right. Has, but it hasn't crumbled. Like the, the, the light is still on. The, the light ground is still on under here. my feet. Right. Is still fairly firm. Right. I'm I'm holding on with a weed gummy and a prayer. That's that's <laughs> what I'm giving right now. <laughs> but but yes, but like as you're like as as good as you can feel while fighting for your rights or whatever. Yes, yes, right? yes. That yes. seems that's gonna characterize that's a great way to characterize the rest of our lives. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I meant it to be profound, actually. That's that's what my uh, <laughs> You didn't deep. know. You didn't know that you've already set the tone. You're taking yeah. a therapy already and you didn't even know. Mm. <laughs> Quietly profound. That's my goal for this this I mean, episode. <laughs> I just had therapy, so I'm already in the I literally like I like I have to leave therapy five minutes early because I have a podcast to do. <laughs> <laughs> And the withering look she gave me. Oh, really? <laughs> was she not having it? Wow. She, no, it's just you. like that. Like, she never betrays. She always has like a Mona Lisa smile on. She never betrays what she actually feels. She's very Freudian in that way. She's like, I'm not going to let my own feelings get involved in this. So, but I could see I, the mask slip for a, a fraction of a second. <laughs> and I could see like, what? Yeah. I mean, good for you that you can go, you can go straight from therapy to doing something else. I always need like a business day. <laughs> process and recur- so I, I appreciate i appreciate like you giving of your time in that way <laughs> i mean well it's funny because sometimes i'll be like you at therapy you seem so happy like <laughs> andy will come out of therapy just like fine do you know what i mean whereas like i feel yeah. like i'm out of therapy either sad or like agitated you know just because i'm in that headspace yes. whatever the headspace was when i had therapy that i couldn't just like pivot whereas he's like we're talking through it 
And I said, bless, bless. Yeah, I'm more on that wavelength where I, I've been out of therapy for a while. This is actually, I feel like, another sign of the universe that's like, bitch, get your ass in therapy again. <laughs> that you're on a podcast like this. But I tend to go into a session being like, I'm here to work. I'm here to do something. And so I'm like so intense and focused that usually after a period of time of therapy, even if it wasn't like particularly heavy, I still need a moment to be like, all right, let me, let me sit with that. Let me go for a walk. Mm. And then, then I'll, then I'll assemble the rest of my personality afterward. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you said about coming into therapy to do the work, you seem like a, um, a put together person in that way, meaning that does not surprise me. This idea of like, if I'm going to come into therapy, we're getting something sorted. We're not here to just be friends, you know? <laughs> and it seems like that, that to me implies a clarity where you're like, this is what I want with my life, with my time. Let's get to it. Are you, would you say that's accurate? I think at my best, that's true. I think a lot of days I feel like like a hot mess. I don't feel like someone who has figured it out. I think what I'm really clear about is I very much want to be on a journey of knowing myself really, really deeply. I think I spent a lot of my life leading up to some of the creative stuff that I'm doing being really preoccupied with what everyone else thought about me. Mm. And I just feel like I'm at a journey of becoming freer and knowing myself more and knowing myself more has like, let me make more peace with things. It's allowed me to handle life transition and stuff. But I, I definitely feel like I, I, I was somebody who was told I was mature for my age growing up. So I did a lot of pretending to be an adult. And now I think I'm on the journey of like actually figuring out what that, what that was. I was like kind of parroting Oprah reruns and people were like, you're so deep. You really get it. And now I'm like, I've lived a little bit and it's, it's much more sort of like learned, earned and meaningfully reflective. But I, I don't get me wrong. I, I am still a yeah. hot mess. I'm also very good at like, I keep the hottest of mess off the internet. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, absolutely. That's Smart. very, That's really very wise. <laughs> Smart. That's some pre nineteen ninety five type behavior. Exactly. Because you're. Oh yeah. How old are you? I am thirty one. That's what I thought. You're young. So like, yeah, you came up so that yeah to know not to. Um, put the worst, <laughs> the worst of it online. Is no that, TikToks <laughs> of you crying. Right, like a slow dramatic crying yeah. TikTok <laughs> with text on top. Saying everything that went wrong that day. Yeah, that's for Instagram close friends only. That's uh, not. Okay. <laughs> that's not for TikTok. That's exclusive content. Uh, green circle, folks. The exactly. green circle, the paywall, subscriber only. Exactly. You're not getting any nudes on my Instagram story. You're getting too many feelings. That's what you're getting. Uh huh. Uh -huh. My, my circle. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and are you from Detroit? Like born and raised? No, I'm originally from South Carolina. So I was. Born and raised in sort of the Midlands, uh, Lexington, and then I went to undergrad in Greenville, South Carolina, graduate school in Chicago, and then moved to Detroit from a job, got fired from that job, and then became somebody working in the entertainment industry. But I'm still based in Detroit right now. Uh -huh. 
honestly, that's living the dream to be to be getting your well again when the Hollywood check was coming in, but using the <laughs> Hollywood check in Detroit. That's the dream. Okay, oh my, that's how yeah. you become a property owner. That's how you yes. are comfortable, and it's how you don't get as crazy in the head because you're not on top of the hellmouth that is the biz. Yes, it's a it's like I'm having a nice Midwestern time <laughs> with nice Midwestern uh, real estate prices, <laughs> things like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and I, I've enjoyed kind of being based. Here. I've now I've got some time to think and reflect because my job is remote. Where do I want to be based? What kind of makes sense sort of for a career, for my relationship? And now I'm having some meaningful conversations around where I want to be long term or even in the short term. But I've really appreciated my time um, here in the Midwest in spite of the winters. Mm. Yes. 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 Wait, can I go back to something? When you said before... You were you were saying like you were paying attention to what other people were thinking yes, about you. I knew you were going to pick it up because I was going to pick it up too. Yes, pick it up, Angie. Pick it up. Pick it up. He put it down. <laughs> what is this a ska song? You, you put it down. He put it down. He pick it up. So, <laughs> so what made the what made you change from being someone who paid attention to what other people were mm. thinking of you to being someone who was more resilient to that or perhaps just doesn't care anymore about what other people think of them or is more concerned with like what kind of person you are does that make sense like i don't know i can't answer for you yeah yeah what what that change was was, but like what spurred it and then what i would love to know how to get healed (laughs) (laughs) say though um i will say it it's been a gradual accumulation of things but i actually think one of the biggest catalysts for change for a desire to pursue that was taking acting. So my background is actually in the performing arts, but as a violinist, I spent 20 years of my life as a violinist. It was my undergrad degree. (gasps) I did concerto competitions. It was something where I really gave a lot of myself and then stopped doing it and kind of felt like that creative chapter was closed. But so much of the way that violin was taught to me was about perfectionism, was about making something perfect and acting was this really interesting space where perfect didn't really count for anything because I, I like <laughs> I was so bad for the first year of all of these classes and I knew I was bad too <laughs> because like I'm a queer person so I have opinions about things I know what it spo- I know what it's supposed to look like and I know it was not close <laughs> but I had it was so important to me because I had so many insecurities about my body, about the way it looked. And acting was this opportunity to take inventory of all of the mundane things my body has experienced, what it's perceived, heartbreak, the sun in your skin. All of those things could be rendered really special and could even bring like an audience to tears. And I remember my first scene I was doing um, for this acting class, we did a scene from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf for our first acting class. Terrible oh my God. decision. Oh my like, God. Way, like way too challenging. But I remember we it was for film and I watched the video be played back. And I was playing someone who didn't have any of the insecurity about their body, who was confident and I watched myself, it wasn't a great performance, but I watched myself for five minutes not have any of the manifestation of anxiety that I walk with throughout my life. And it really opened something for me. I didn't see, like, 
how I slouch in a chair or try to pull at my shirt so you don't see how it gathers on my body. I was like sitting upright and confident and I got to see myself like that for the first time. And so much of what I thought acting was going to be was pretending to be other people. And it was actually about being incredibly honest. And and the thing that really changed it for me, I had a cold reading class with one of my, my teachers because as an early acting student, the thing I wanted to show you was Oh, like a violinist. I want to show you. I did all my homework. I did all the practicing. I want you to see how how much work I did. And that's not uh-huh. really how it works. And so with cold reading, like you only got a few minutes, you got to make some quick choices. And my acting teacher said, if you go into an audition with a desire to be liked, all anyone will see about your character is a desire to be liked. Mm-hmm. They the goal of what it's supposed to do is to create this world that's so interior and so specific that you're demonstrating your capacity to world build. And then the goal in the audition is just to be coachable from that. Can you move it around? But it made me think about how many first dates have I walked in where my only desire was to be liked? Mm-hmm. How many job interviews have I done that? How many moments in my life was I leading with this desire to be liked. And so getting to try out, even for just a few moments at a time, not carrying that with me, changed my entire life. Wow. Oh my God. Also, this is really telling me how I need to change my auditioning technique. (laughs) Um, I'm really going to do something else (laughs) because that makes total sense. It's, it's less the feeling of, I don't necessarily go into it about how to be liked as much as how to, I am trying to give what I think you want. And that is Mm. in a way, that is the same thing we're talking about. Like, because Andy and I are the same way of like, we did our homework. We're good. Do you like us now? And realizing the extent to which that actually is its own full-time job that is so tiring. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a counterintuitive thing where part of what I've had to kind of make peace with is what the person will like is an unknowable thing to you. Mm. And so it's almost, it's almost like, a completely worthless pursuit because you can't possibly know that. And so part of what the goal for me has been to make it so real and specific to me that even if it's no, it was in the totally wrong direction of what a casting director or a play, someone who's casting a play wants, I have shown that like I can make so many things real. And then if you're like, okay, that's not what I was looking for. Move that part around. I can move that around without any like sensitivity about, but I built this really precious thing. It's instead, it's just like, no, I'm, I'm here to kind of be game um, for all of that. And as someone who had a previous background as a violinist where audition meant I have to go in and nail every note and I have to be perfect. The advice I got from the cold reading classes, her number one takeaway advice is before you go on stage, say to yourself, fuck it. Just say, fuck it. <laughs> like that, like that was my acting teacher's kind of mentality is that there's a part of it, it's like, I have to trust that it's there and it'll come when I need it. And it's the most terrifying type of way to show up to your artistry. And it's also been the most freeing for me. I was, <laughs> yes, sorry. There's a lot in my head. I'm trying to like, uh, but there's this kind of like very Cartesian thing. You can't know other people's minds, right? So what, in, se- in in essence, what you're reacting to is you're projecting your own thing onto them and then trying to fulfill that thing that you've projected mm-hmm. onto them. 
So yes, it's not knowing what their thing is. It's I mean, it's it's some deeper, weird Freudian thing of you <laughs> of your own of you trying to live up to your own brain's projections of what it should be. If that makes sense. It's exactly that. It's yeah, it's this incredible type of vulnerability. I remember in one of the acting books or something I was reading, they were, they were saying that in some ancient times in certain societies, acting was considered a profession that was comparable to sex work because it was this intimate thing that you're making public. But so much of what the magic trick for me about acting is like watching somebody be in their own little world. And I think as somebody like I was listening to a lot of the episodes, the most recent episode. I know it, this is a safe place to talk about being neurospicy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I will say too, I think it was really helpful for me in terms of like thinking meaningfully about communication and what people are bringing to the table and all of these modes of communicating. Like acting was this really deeply personally therapeutic thing for me that allowed me to see myself and the world differently. It even, I like, I got a closer relationship to my family, a closer relationship to my loved ones. And I always felt like in acting class, I was closer to what I think I was supposed to feel in church growing up. Mm. Like this spirit, this like sense of like connectedness to myself and others in the world um, around me. And so it's been this really deeply personal spiritual experience that has now become my career. And the question is, how do you protect something that is some, that is that personal to you once it becomes your job? And so that's, that's the part of like, we were saying like, you seem like you've got to figure it out, put together. That's the part I don't have put together yet. I'm trying to figure out how to, <laughs> how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I think makes, I think, it is interesting that you said in, in some ancient cultures that it was seen in the same light as sex work, because especially in a capitalist and for us in a capitalist uh, context, that there are similarities in the sense of like you are in both sex work and acting or stand up or anything like that. The product that you are alienated from is yourself, right? Yes. When you when when it is your body or when it is your when it is your words or something like that, and the 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 surplus profit yes, is going talk, to okay, someone okay, else. Okay, DSA, and break it down. And you're alienated from that. It's it's it's. I I think there are like that. That isn't. I I would say that isn't a bad, both existential and kind of like economic comparison. Even today in 2023. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it's. That's kind of what everything is, you know, of course, we're all in the head of the strike and everything. And so that feeling, too, is also like a SAG strike comes up and these questions of what do we owe and what do we deserve? And that feeling of what's funny is because I've talked with a lot of actors where I was where we're like SAG ain't going to strike because actors want to be liked too much. (laughs) Meaning we want it so bad that the idea of walking away from it by choice is too scary literally baked into our approach to the work, right? Because the barrier of entry is so high. The barrier to entry is so high. The idea that you wouldn't do anything to get in and you wouldn't take anything that they're offering uh, feels wrong. And, And so this idea now, when you kind of say it's like, actually, no, as much as it is me, meaning the work I create or what I want to do, it is also labor and it is also valuable as such. I think it's a mentality that I think 
we haven't been trained to have creatively, especially because the way you you're talking about it, Ryan, too. this, you know, you found something in this that I think is the goal, right? Anytime someone pursues a craft, but isn't necessarily right. So, I mean, you've been in classes like, yeah. you know, you have some people in there who are like, I was, I wanted to be an actor since I was four and I was told I was a star and I'm taking the class so I could get the thing, right? Meaning the class is the yes. step to the next thing as opposed to the process itself. So there's so many different ways. Like to me, I'm like, that's beautiful that you can get that from that experience. Um, Cause that's where it's like, that's where it feels worthwhile in and of itself, as opposed to what am I going to get after this? Exactly. I have a, I have a playwright friend um, who I was talking to a while back and was talking about like, oh, this acting is this beautiful, personal, spiritual journey. And she like listened to me rant about that and quietly, but politely went, that's lovely. And I'm glad you're having that. But you have to consider that acting is for a lot of people what violin was to you. It was a craft and a field where a lot of people have experienced harm, have experienced like labor abuse. It's one of these professions where we have such odd expectations around intimacy that sometimes that has facilitated the kind of line crossing that we've recently had in, in conversation. And so she always has kind of helped to try to reframe it for me that the journey I'm on is about me. It isn't necessarily about the, the art form itself. It's that I would, I'm, have this desperate need to try to figure out who I am and whatever it is that I was doing, I would be doing some version of that. And so I also want to be careful too, not to overly mythologize the experience of being a creative person in this entry, especially somebody who's new to it as well, but saying that this is what it has meant to me. And this is why I do, I do want to protect it as, as a, as a field and as a profession. Um, I think the work I'm doing now is the loudest I've ever gotten to be about my integrity, my values and the things I believe, the things I want to say. And I think it has meant that I'm not really hireable in any other industry. Okay. Ah. I've, I've had a, I've had a bunch of jobs. I've hopped around and now I'm like, girl, I don't think I can do nothing else. Like, I think this is, <laughs> I think this is it. And so that was why when I went to New York, even for like a few minutes, I was like, I've got to go to the picket line. This is, this is something that's worth protecting and defending because of what it has transformed for me, not just economically, but, but personally. So how did that, you know, these kind of, um, epiphanies or however you want to characterize them that you had when you uh, started acting or started taking acting classes and actually wait, parenthetically, can I ask this question? When you saw yourself, when you said you saw yourself free in that, when you watched the tape back for the, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf scene and you saw yourself without anxiety. Do you, do you remember your actual reaction? And uh, do you like, how did it feel? I kind of, I was kind of marveling at it because I was expecting that sometimes where I, where I look at me, I'm, my mind goes to like all of my insecurities. What do I look like? What do I sound like? What am I dressed like? Well, and, and so I was primed to see that I, it was super meta. I was primed to do that to me. But I was watching me not do that. And huh. so much of what acting was for me was taking an inventory 
of this whole physical world that I hadn't really paid attention to um, for much of my life. Like we would have these exercises like when you're angry, where do you feel that? Where like, like I didn't have any of that type of like real internal knowledge. And I think I got to see myself um, cultivate it in this way. And it just felt like I was watching some sort of like portal to another dimension. I was like, look, there's a, that's me, but confident. What's that? <laughs> okay. And parenthetical. So the rest of the, the rest of the original <laughs> question is how did that reverberate out to the rest of your life? Right. Because you did mention, you know, getting closer with family and loved ones. But when we say closer, is that, you know, being more honest with those people, being more vulnerable, having more patience, you know, mm-hmm. what does it look like to what get was closer? Your dating life like pre Ooh. and post, for example. Ooh. Ooh. This is very interesting. I'll say in terms of a family, I so I have a younger brother who is incarcerated. And for a lot of um our life and childhood and adolescence growing up, we were not particularly close. And I think some of the narrative that we heard, even from the adults around us, was that we're so different. We're so different. We're so different. And I think with acting class, you there, there's so many there's so many things in your life where you see someone do something, you're like, oh, I would never do that. I could never do that. I would never imagine myself doing that. And you get a script, and then the job is okay. Well, you're doing that. You're doing that thing. You could see you'd never see yourself doing, <laughs> and it becomes this deep empathetic and intellectual exercise where you begin to realize you are capable of anything that any other human being has ever done. Hmm. And I think it allowed me to start having conversations with my brother about how he understood our relationship, our family dynamic and all these other stuff and actually put myself out of the way to say, I can see how you would feel that way. It allowed me, I think, I think one of the the things that was most helpful was like acting was this opportunity to kind of practice uh, communication. And so let's say you're in, you're in a, you're in a scene, your body doesn't really know the difference, but you're in a scene, you're getting worked up. Let's say it's an an argument scene and you're like, you're in your building and your acting teacher goes, stop. Um, What do you think she's trying to say to you in that moment? What do you think she's trying to communicate? Like being stopped in the middle of an emotional response, even though it's in the context of a fictional one, having that practice, even having practice of like trying to have clear diction while you're in emotional (laughs) distress, like all of those things. It was like it was the benefit of like childhood play is that you're working out practicing scenarios that you will need in adulthood and understanding dynamics. And it was space to continue to do that. And so I had the, I started to develop the ability to in the middle of my heightened feelings, be able to say, stop, what is that person trying to say to me? Why is it so important for me to communicate this thing? What is so valuable about like, what it like, what are, what are our, like, it's weird to go, what's my motivation in real life? (laughs) But that's kind of that question of like, what's my motivation or what could that person's motivation possibly be? just open a whole new pathway to understand communication. And I think it also kind of like allows you to be humble that you realize the moments you're interacting with people, even if it's unpleasant, it's such a small fraction of their life. This is, forgive me for ranting. This is something I get really nervous no, no. and passionate about. No, no, we need, about. we need, we need, yes. <laughs> I, I, the idea that like 
the smallest possible scene, you're on screen for 30 seconds, you still have to try to build that person's life outside of that in order to make that 30 seconds realistic. So if I'm having a 30 second interaction in a store or something that's unpleasant, that's such a small part of that person's life. It's such a small part of like my life. It just kind of puts a lot of things into perspective and, and context for me. That's kind of what it did for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, dating wise. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Andy wants tea. Andy wants tea. Tell us all about the date. So I, so when I started acting, I was already dating uh, my partner. And so it was, <laughs> it was really interesting because he, he was very supportive. Like he would went me, with me to Staples to like get <laughs> my first headshots and things copied and all this stuff for auditions. <laughs> and I think it was probably a lot of me talking his ear off, but I, it, I think it also brought us closer because I just got a lot better about communicating my emotional needs and sitting with my feelings and talking about what my feelings were and registering mm. what they, what they were. And I think sometimes even like I try not to psychoanalyze people too, but also it allows you to kind of imagine what somebody else might be coming from. And so we had a lot of better communication too, where I, like he might be saying something to me and I was like, is, is it, does this mean this to you by chance? And he's like, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly how I felt. And so I think it brought us uh, closer in that way too. It has been strange because I don't think either one of us expected for it to do what it did in terms of like becoming a whole new career or, um, and so that has been an interesting type of adjustment, but he's been incredibly supportive of it, which has been a, a gift. Before this, were you the kind of person in a relationship? Would you kind of would you shut down? You know, again, before you did have these, com- in essence, communication skills and listening skills, and as you said, part of this is like learning what you feel in the moment you feel it. Mm-hmm. Were you before that kind of like I'm gonna go be over here and I'm a kind of and I come talk to you later, or were you a <laughs> whirlwind? Oh, I'm a whirling dervish. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, I hadn't had a lot of experiences with healthy long-term relationships prior to this. I had been someone who had much like more casual dating, more hooking up. I hadn't really had this. And I think a lot of early on in my relationships, and I'm being like as careful about him as possible. Cause the other thing too is I have to talk about him like he's in witness protection because he <laughs> is not interested in being known or recognized <laughs> at all. But, <laughs> but I think a lot of what I was reckoning with early on in the relationship was okay, I've never been in a relationship this long. I've never gotten to this level of the video game before. So like, what are the rules? (laughs) And there's so much of, so much of what relationship dynamics have been for me is like, okay, society and social expectations say that a relationship should look like this. Are we doing this? Should we be doing this? This feels like these are the rules. And so we're kind of reconciling like how you fit with the expectation of what the rules are. And I think some of what acting helped shift for me in terms of how I showed up in my relationship was being less concerned about the rules and being more concerned with like being present and Mm -hmm. what expectations, like what actually felt good for us versus like what was an expectation of a a relationship dynamic was supposed to be. Um, Because I think for me, some of like, because I hadn't been in these relationships, I had a lot of anxiety about 
being picked, being chosen. And that was the other thing that acting, I think, was also helpful about, which was like, do you like what you're doing? Would you pick you? Mm. Um, and I think that allowed me to show up more fully um, to this relationship. And, and I think um, my partner is someone for whom, like, it was one of the first people I've dated where I think if we weren't dating, we'd still be friends. That's key. And that's key. that has been. Yes. Yeah. That's been such a like beautiful dynamic because friendships have really held the the center of my life and still are really important in my life. I don't necessarily place my romantic relationships on a, on a hierarchy above those relationships. And there's blurring of like romance and friendship because, you know, we queer, we out here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that's some of what, this is a really, this is, this is couples therapy. I need to <laughs> get Blue Cross Blue Shield to square up with y'all because this is couples therapy. <laughs> this is a really What's helpful it, type of thing. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell y'all square up with them. This, this is really, um, a helpful reflection tool that I hadn't thought about. I should talk to another therapist about this. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a I, look. If you can't afford therapy, you should just go on podcasts until you work out exactly or, or improv classes at UCB in New York. Oh no, no, no! That's too much <laughs> untreated illness. <laughs> you seem remarkably healthy, by the way. Like I, I, I was like I, I, w- I went inside for a moment. I'm just like, what else am I curious about? I'm just like. This is maybe one of the most healthy guests we've had on in a long time. Well, no, you know what it is, though, because it's not about being so like, because, you know, I always joke about put togetherness. What it is, is you're able to explain yourself. You seem to have an awareness, right? You said it's a journey of figuring out who I am, but you know how to communicate who that is now. Right. As opposed to because sometimes I will I will press pause and say, no, no, no. What you said don't even make no kind of sense. (laughs) (laughs) You better start over. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I hope what I I hope what I convey is a sense of like some not necessarily somebody who has it figured out, but somebody who knows who they are. And I think the phase that I'm getting to is there's no part of myself that like I'm really afraid of anymore. And so even when I'm like in a state, I've gotten better at this, even when I'm in a state of distress or I'm like messy or saying something, I can be like this is the messy part of me that needs to speak up right now. <laughs> so it's a little bit just more like full uh, awareness of self. Um, I will say, I think that's a relatively new sense of being. I don't think that's something I've walked around with for very long. So it feels like new growth. And I'm, and I'm glad that like, uh, hopefully people can see that and resonate with it. But it still very much feels like a work in progress because I think the story of my life is that, like I said, I was somebody who was told I was mature for my age. I was like an adultified kid. And so I grew up thinking I would have maturity tokens I could cash in. I was like, I (laughs) saved up. And I like I went home and watched Oprah every day. Like I was the kid who didn't get in trouble. I followed all the rules. So where are my maturity tokens? And it was Mm -hmm. this kind of lesson of around what I didn't know. And I think what feels truer now about any type of growth I'm doing is that it's lived and experienced as opposed to just intellectualized. Because I'm also very good at just intellectualizing about my feelings. 
rather than feeling them. And that was the thing that made me a bad actor for so long was I could tell you everything about a psychological breakdown of a character. I couldn't do it because the idea of being that vulnerable in front of people was too like that was a bridge too far. Um, and so I think sitting in my body with intense feelings, with the safety of distance, because it's not really me, that was really therapeutic for me. And that was really good practice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like Ryan has a lot of, um, help to give the people. Yeah. We got to give the people some help. Okay. 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 <laughs> we'll take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to answer your advice questions. 
Also, I got to point this out. There is a particular technology that the folks at MeUndies would like me to discuss. Now, you know Naomi is sex negative and I am sex neutral. So I didn't want to have to say what this technology is. So I asked friend of the show, friend in real life, Mort Burke, to say the phrase. So, okay, here it goes. For any listeners with penises and testicles, I can say medical words. I can say medical words. You might be interested in me undies sophisticated contoured pouch and ball caddy. What's that again, Mort? They're incredibly comfortable contoured pouch and ball caddy. Wonderful. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Soft underwear comes in all packages at MeUndies. So to get 20% off your first order plus free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash therapy. That's MeUndies.com slash therapy for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. And we're back, okay? We are here with Ryan Kent. Here to help you handle your scandal. You a mess. You need us. We need you. Everybody's struggling. We just waiting on our checks. It's a journey we're all on. <laughs> By the way, can I just say, since the minute you said the phrase concerto competitions, all I I cannot get the uh, from uh, the the Four Seasons phrase of Vivaldi that one part out of my head. It's literally <laughs> going around my head the entire time and and in my mind i guess that's what a concerto competition is just that one part (laughs) you know what i'm talking about making sense yes okay yes what i'm hearing is that i am such a classy lady woman of elegance that when you see me you simply hear classical music playing in the background Uh that's what i heard (laughs) and that feels like the correct vibe for me (laughs) that is correct ryan's also giving spring blouse so that's also (laughs) Yes, so that's adding giving, elegance. You are giving Vivaldi. You are not giving John Cage. Yes, yes. And I will say, Baroque music is some of the best to twerk to. That's but that's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Put a beat behind that. Anyway, okay. Well, before we get to a question, I am curious just a little bit about violin. Was it something? Did you love violin, or was it something you happened to be good at? Do you know what I mean? Because when you start anything that little, right, where someone pretty much puts something in your hand and you sort of take to it or don't take to it. I'm just curious about what your relationship was to the violin. So I had this opposite experience where I think a lot of people had the experience of their parents or family being like, you will be the next Yo-Yo Ma. I'm going to get you in lessons while you are in utero. That was not what (laughs) happened for me. I was a little kid who had tried a bunch of different things. My parents like were trying to find my thing. I tried sports and I didn't really like some of those things. And in third grade, I'd asked about playing the violin. I think a group had come to our school. I thought that was really cool. I'd done a bunch of stuff and quit. So my parents were like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then I came back in the fourth grade and I asked again, and my parents signed me up for one semester thinking that like, I probably wouldn't keep doing it. And I loved it. And I really took to it like, uh, like a fish to water. But I think some of it was that it was an environment where I was being affirmed for this talent and skill. And I did love it. And I would spend a lot of hours practicing when I was a little kid. I devoted. One of the things about being a violinist is that you sacrifice, especially if you're serious about it, you sacrifice a lot of your childhood to practice, to be good at this particular um, thing. But it wasn't really an external pressure, I felt. It was more of um, an internal pressure. And I think toward the end of my violin career, I just was so burned out that I, I was just kind of ready to close that chapter. And I thought I was like done being a performer forever after that. 
that this thing I, at one point that I did love so much that was so affirming to me had just kind of like flamed out really quickly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see that. But I, but I like that it was something you loved that it was like, you know, you, you went to it, right? Like you found it and it was your thing, but yeah. it's the same thing you're talking about now, right? With action where it's like, how do you keep any of it feeling good when it, when it becomes a job? When it becomes a little bit of a slog, yes, yeah. which and anything does, when even you the say thing you love the most becomes a slog. You, you really mean yourself. Yes, absolutely. You really me, uh huh, uh huh. I don't I, know. How do I keep this <laughs> uh-huh. vibrant? Uh huh. Do you have an answer? It's real though. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I will say for now I don't play as often, but sometimes I'll play my violin, and it is just joy. It is nothing but joy. There, so funny thing is, like, you go long periods of time without playing, you lose a lot of technique. So you you kind of have to make peace with the fact that you don't sound as good as you as you used to. But there are a lot of technical things that actually require a lot of relaxation. And for the entire time that I was a violin student, there were certain things I couldn't do because the stress of being a violin student meant I could never relax. And so I will have lost all of this technique. But I'll pick up my violin and be able to do a bow stroke that I was never able to do for my entire career because now I'm finally relaxed and comfortable enough in my body that that tension is gone and that relaxation thing. I'm thinking specifically if I could be really nerdy and technical. There is a bow stroke that is called a ricochet bariolage. And so you are bouncing across all four strings back and forth while you're rolling. And it sounds really precise and mechanical when you get it right. It has to be da, 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 like it's really even. And it's the most counterintuitive thing because you have to completely let go in order for it to happen. And I was wow. never able to do that because I was like, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, <laughs> as opposed to just like, and that finally came after acting and years away from it. Huh. So, And when you say rolling, you mean on Molly, correct? <laughs> oh, yeah, Absolutely. That's what Beethoven was doing. <laughs> we get questions. You stuck a choir on an orchestra piece. Like you, you, some type of drugs was involved. Nobody was doing that. That's a deep cut joke for some classical music nerds. Uh. <laughs> okay, we're going to discover who they are. We're going to like get some responses, and that's how we'll find out who our, who our classical nerd heads are. We get questions from all over, Ryan. We get questions from Twitter, Gmail, Instagram, voicemail. Our favorite, Naomi. What is that number? 323-524-7839. There is a three-minute limit, y'all. I say it all the time now. Don't you be meandering. You got to focus. I pick these slightly at random, but I have a feeling this one will... This makes sense for our guest. So let's... Take it away. So I have been uh, wanting to ask you guys for advice for so long, and I've recorded a couple questions, but then, you know, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot, uh, I am pretty smart, and so <laughs> emotionally so, and so I feel like I end up figuring out the answer to my own questions uh, once I voice them. But this is one that... Uh, I truly am not sure about. So you know how you guys are always like, I keep saying you guys, you know how you all are like, um, uh, always like, you know, gotta miss a bitch kind of thing. Well, that's one of those uh, principles that I feel like I've known intellectually for a super long time. But when it comes to putting it in practice, it's super hard for me. I definitely 
tend to be somewhat other focused. Um, and I'm sort of learning how to be a little bit more self-focused, like be in my own body, have my own experiences. Um, so yeah, so recently my partner and I have um, shifted into polyamory, which has kind of um, been a big challenge in terms of like kind of forcing me to confront that in myself and and uh, move it more in the direction that I actually want. So in that sense, it's great. <laughs> This shift, like I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really helping me to grow in the exact direction that I've been trying to grow and been that's been hard for me to grow. But the thing is how, so here's my question. How do you, how do you forgive yourself for abandoning yourself? I suppose I didn't completely abandon myself, but I think just in, you know, some ways I was just really out of my own self and I think I needed me and I was not there for myself at times when I needed me. Does that make sense? How do you forgive yourself for that and not judge yourself as like, oh, I was so clingy. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, God, so anxious. <laughs> I don't want to talk to myself that way, but it's really hard to find a different way. So, um, um, yeah, thank y'all so much. By the way, um, uh, I'm not going to give my name or you can use Jessica maybe. Yeah, use Jessica <laughs> and uh, she, her pronouns. And, um, yeah, thank y'all so much for the work that you put into this podcast. I know it's a lot of effort. Shout out to Andy. I feel like Andy can sometimes be very underrated. And I know, like, uh, you know. Anyway, I, I just, that's my truth. And, of course, Naomi is amazing. And thank you to whoever the guest is for for loosening your butt and being on this episode. So, um, yeah, anyway, I appreciate y'all so much. Uh, take care. Bye. Okay. Wow. Wow, I love you. Like I pick these totally at random, and it's this one where it's like <laughs> it really is. Especially now that we have uh, our we we now have a Booker Mimi who like just puts a synopsis of the question. So I don't even listen anymore to to to. The, I used to listen to like the first like fifty seconds right. just to make sure it was legible. Right. No, this is now your third so eye. This is, this this is your third this eye is at work. Genuinely, me. I didn't even hear the compliment about myself at all. <laughs> This is genuinely the universe speaking through me. Wow. This, I, I, I love this question and I am also non-monogamous. I'm also poly. I have two partners and this was a challenge for me. This, this, like y'all are dancing all up and through my business on this episode. <laughs> oh my God. And I also sort of has struggled with this um, issue around like, how do you forgive yourself? And I think some of what has been helpful for me is to remember to extend a lot of grace mm. because you did survive the thing. You did survive the thing that you got through. You are here. You are all of those things contribute to be you being on a journey of being a person who wants to forgive yourself. So the, the older version of you that you're judging, it is responsible for getting to the place that you are today. And I think some of what has helped me was making peace with the fact that I have always been doing the best with what I knew at the time. I was mm -hmm. always doing my best with the resources I had available at the time. And mm -hmm. recently I've been doing some writing and reflection about my own life and my childhood and writing these things down and writing even things down when I was a young adult being like, do I really have beef with a 10 year old? Do I really got beef? With a 17-year-old or a 25-year-old or somebody who was, like, just trying to figure it out, I think sometimes the stepping outside of yourself 
and looking at you and especially when the moments you're judging yourself, if you could almost see like, what does it mean to have been that age, to have had that life experience and all those things that it led up to, to there now? And if it wasn't you, would it be someone who deserved harsh judgment and shame? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a new iteration of Oprah with Ryan because this is correct. <laughs> this is correct. This is right. And it's something to my therapist says too, because one of the things she wanted me to do, like when we first started, she was like, you know, I want you to take a picture of yourself as a child, and I want you to put that on your phone background, and I want you to see that that younger person. And it is kind of what you're saying of like, and again, maybe Jessica, you ain't talking about the necessarily the little version of you, but I think you are thinking of, you know the you of previous relationships or the early part of the current relationship and you're like oh god i was that way it's so embarrassing i mean i cringe when i think of my past too i swear to god there's some people i need to make some amends to from college i was asking too much (laughs) of people i was asking too much of fellow youth i was really really a lot but to know that as you said it was a product of the skills i had at that point in my life so it's like you can't be too mad at yourself. But it's also what you're saying, too, is also. I agree. It's also this idea, too, of like. Stop looking back at the old you and put the love into the you of right now. The new you. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. I, I even hesitated to say new. because The you like, you. The you. The you you. I mean, it's just not. It. It. It's it does you no service, and I think what you're responding to is, "Ooh, I want to be different. I don't like who that version of me was." And I think the only way you actually, but be- you know, step away from that version is to stop looking back at that version. As long as you're not doing evil in the world, this is the thing I always get caught up with this a little bit. Where if you're actually if if you're just judging yourself because you felt like you were uh, did something embarrassing or did something uh, cringe or whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, don't stop, stop judging yourself. If you did actual evil in the world, judge yourself. Cause I don't want like <laughs> David Zaslav to hear this <laughs> and, be like, and be like, Oh, I shouldn't judge myself for destroying all those people's careers just to, so that the, uh, the stock price went up by uh, five cents. Uh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I mean, he probably thinks that anyway. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah, 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 sure, <laughs> but I'm just sure. saying that if you are self-aware and you have done evil in the world. But Jessica, in Jessica's <laughs> case. Well, here's the thing, Ryan, that I'm curious about. When Jessica says like that she was clingy or something like that, is she talking about in polyamory she has been clingy to a partner? Or is that is that something that was a problem for you as you? As you enter entered, I don't or know opened what it up. I, opened, opened up, it up as you yeah. opened up your relationship. So I think a couple of things. I think for me, what has been a challenge, and I think what is the real lesson, is that all of the feel like cringy, embarrassing. Those are judgments, right? So those aren't actually the articulation of what the experience was or what the thing is. Those are judgments. Okay. Oh, now reverse Uno, reverse therapy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, but I think some of what happens for me, and this is me speaking for me, is when I feel like I've been clingy, when I feel like I've been jealous or, or something else, it, because I'm judging it, it also means that I have shame. And it also means that I am then not bringing the discussion of my actual feelings and experiences to the relationship because I'm in my head thinking I shouldn't be feeling this way. 
And so much of what I have learned as a person who was doing false maturity was I thought that it meant you jumped ahead to the conclusion where you were mature already and you already had the mature answer rather than moving through the feelings that are real that are happening to you, talking about them, discussing them and acknowledging them and trusting your partner or partners to do the same, that actual maturity is not ignoring uncomfortable feelings. It's being incredibly aware with, aware of them, bringing them to the table, honoring them and acknowledging them, and hopefully moving together and doing that with a partner. That is what intimacy is. Mm-hmm. That is what intimacy is. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have a judgment of like, I was clingy, I was, um, and I also think too, sometimes like interrogate where that judgment comes from. Because sometimes, like, I have gotten less embarrassed about that, too, in part because I now have good partnership. And I'm not playing this game of, like, okay, so we both like each other, but the way you win this game is that you don't say it first. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, like, we're both playing this, like, co- or we're all playing this competition where, like, I hide how I, I hide how I really feel because, like, if you say the real thing, then you lose. And so much of what has been beautiful about the relationships that I have in my life now is there is none of that. There is no part of me that because they are my friends. And the other thing I will say, too, is especially for those of us who intellectualize our feelings and who pride ourselves on being very smart about our feelings, like Jessica, we kindred spirits. You sound just <laughs> you sound just like me. I think back to this the this Mr. Rogers uh song where he's got the song with the tiger it's like sometimes i feel like i'm a mistake and then there's a duet that comes in where so where someone sings i like you exactly as you are and what i think is so beautiful about that framing they talk about this in the documentary is it's not that the other voice goes away it's that you're adding another voice it's that when you feel cringy or embarrassed or all those other sorts of things that's not the only voice that you hear it might still be there but it's not that voice by itself. And if there are people who love you and there are people who are in your life, part of what you can do is you can borrow their voices when you need to. That's what being loved well is. So sometimes I don't feel it, but I borrow the love of my friends or my family and I say to myself the things that they say to me. So my insecurity is not the only voice that's rattling around in there. Okay, this episode about to clear my skin and just beat a new ball <laughs> off because <laughs> Ryan ain't never lied. Ryan is out here uplifting. Okay. This is true. This is true. That is a perfect that is a perfect encapsulation of what the journey looks like to yeah. getting, you know, as you, you know, as you said, right? Like the voice doesn't necessarily go away. But that's interesting because I think that's something we've talked about this before. So I guess I get uh, on the pod. So, but you know, your own negative voice in your head, right? The process isn't getting rid of it. It's adding in a chorus that drowns <laughs> it out. Right. Right. Making it slightly yeah. less loud if possible. Right. I mean, sure, there'd be a world where I would like it to go away because she's so draining. She's so tiring. She's so... It's like, why are you so committed to bringing me down, Gretchen? (laughs) (laughs) But... but, Yeah, I think it's... um, That's... Yeah, that's true. Just add my voice to the mix. I know, but this is another thing, too. Imagine me putting Gretchen in a headlock and giving her a noogie. But he, but and, it, and this is where I know that like I'm dealing right now solely with just like a my brain is just not 
It's a little broken right now. It sounds dramatic to say that, but I have a problem taking in the positivity. There's one thing for me, like, yeah. and that's why I know it's like something's off. Do you know what I mean? Because I can't even like, like mm-hmm. to me, when Andy compliments me, I'm like, uh-huh. And that's like, because I can't even like imagine a world where any of that is true. And that is mm-hmm. a, a larger problem than just, I feel bad. You know what I'm saying? It's different than yes. just like a crummy passing feeling or whatever. I have found recently some incredible movement on that front from writing and writing about where that voice comes from, where those voices of insecurity come from. And what is so beautiful about writing and I feel about good writing is about it's a, it's a journey about saying the most honest thing. And for one of, one of the things that I started writing for myself, what became clear to me was that one of the deepest voices of insecurity of myself around, particularly the desire to impress and the desire to be chosen and the desire to be picked, that those voices weren't entirely mine, that they, the origins of them were not necessarily my own. And sometimes getting clear about where that voice came from or that it's not just yours also allows you to, I think, talk back. And when I say add another voice, I mean this literally. So my brain is broken for real, for real. Like not not for play play, but like for real, for real, my brain broke. <laughs> and so what I will do is I will literally argue back with depression. I will argue back. <laughs> I will like talk back to it so that the on- like, it's not the only voice in the room. And I think that that's, so much has what has been it for me is it's just that like I don't know I was saying before sometimes even when I do comedy stuff I get nervous because I always see myself as like you know even on my best day I'm always gonna be like a little bit sad there's just like a little sad extract in the in the mix <laughs> yeah, like yeah. In, in the recipe and and I think that like I kind of made peace with that but so much of what allows me I think to have sustained joy is being able to take moments of like letting some other voices be louder than that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I'm going to have to replay this episode to myself. <laughs> you want you need a conductor in your head to uh do the conducting thing to <laughs> do the conducting thing. <laughs> yes. To, yes. You need tar. You need tar. In your head. <laughs> no, tar is tar. I didn't even see it. I just, I just based on what I heard. Yeah, she was toxic. All the people who were like, "Girl boss slay," I'm like, y'all missed the point. No, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> that was, that was not it at all. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was not the. It was still a wonderful movie, I think. Uh, but uh, uh, whatever the thing is for it to soften, so like a lower volume, you need to do that to the bad voice, and you need them to do the conductor motion for higher volume. To and do you, Ryan, you are just yes. help me out you with some kind this. of vocabulary. Andrew. What is it? Crescendo, de crescendo. That's yes. what I'm getting. <laughs> you need yes. to crescendo the good voices and decrescendo the bad ones. Thank you for letting me blow the dust off that degree. I have not used it in a minute, and that was really nice. <laughs> My parents would be like, "Finally, it's getting to good use. That fucking money." <laughs> But another thing I will say too, this is another thing, because Jess, if, if we go if we're gonna be on this same page like this, we're gonna talk to each other for real. We're gonna kiki. I would also say take pride in having your emotional awareness and knowing that you're 
at a like emotionally aware astute person but sometimes the adherence to the belief that you are that you have to be emotionally smart and put together means that you will be afraid to say the thing that feels immature yes. so don't don't stifle the part of you because sometimes what ha- sometimes when a relationship and like all relationships whether poly or monogamous or otherwise sometimes jealousy or all the myriad of feelings we we come to sometimes the origin of that might have been something when we were five mm-hmm. it might be something when we were 10 it might be abandonment issues from all different points in time of our life and so you might go to this emotional place where you feel really immature but i think you get closer to intimacy and freedom when you don't feel like you have to swallow that to skip ahead to the smart conclusion and mature ending. Very, very true. That that resonates with me because I think a lot of it, a lot of times, the impulse is what I would, what I want to say or what I feel to say is like, take care of me. But I, but I know intellectually that's like not fair to ask of a person, and I shouldn't say that, and I should be grown enough to take care of myself. So that I'd say some other stuff instead. Usually yeah. leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, when I do get to take care of you, is it not nice? Oh, it's it's so nice. When I buy you a nice dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. No, it's true. It's that's, very true. That's Naomi's love language. Yeah, my love language is particularly buy me food. <laughs> like, not just Mine food, too. buy me food. <laughs> Mine too. And it's, it's a, I've, like, I've given it up for food so, before, so it's, you know. <laughs> exactly. Take the Olive Garden, I'll put out. That's what's... <laughs> For unlimited breadsticks, of course. Yeah, exactly. Endless soup and salad? Yeah. I do. Yeah, you have, have to be crazy not to. <laughs> okay, I know we're, we've hit the hour. Do you have time for one more, though? Sure. I am having a blast. I'm like, this is so much fun. Naomi, would, you like, would you like to read this? Okay. This is uh, anonymous okay. from an Instagram direct message. Okay. Request for relationship advice. Dear Andy, Naomi, an illustrious guest. Absolutely, illustrious. I need your honest feedback. First, I must say I'm a huge fan of the podcast and love everything y'all do. I leave the compliments in the written ones. I don't... Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for always providing consistent and hilarious comfort in these trying times. My question is this. Am I an asshole for getting upset with my husband for giving me a bidet for Christmas? Yes. I don't need to hear anything else. Yes. When I tell you these, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I am a bidet evangelist. I am a bidet grassroots organizer. And I will not stand for bidet slander. But you can continue. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I was on the forefront of bidet, of people wanting bidets. I wanted a bidet since, so in high school, you got to go to the country, uh, whatever you, whatever language you were studying, there was a trip to that country. I worked my ass off at Pathmark yes. to earn the money to go to Italy because mm-hmm. I studied Latin, and there were bidets everywhere. <laughs> so since I was since I was sixteen, I've been I've been, and that's in the nineties. All right, I'm putting that out there. Yes, yes, you. I'm the- just saying I'm on the forefront. Yes, everyone in the last five years is all bidet crazy. You saw the vision before me. <laughs> I got there later, but let me tell you, in March 2020, there was, of course, the horrible pandemic. But there was another tragedy, and that was the great toilet paper snatching of <laughs> 2020. I, to this day, nobody has been able to explain to me what the fuck happened. But I said to myself, I'll never be caught like this again. 
<laughs> this will never happen to me again. Mm-hmm. And so not only are you the asshole, you're the dirty asshole. Because you don't like a bidet. (laughs) Okay, we have to get the context, though. We do, we do. I'm sorry. Perhaps a bit of context will help you answer this question. Do I feel like a bidet is a nice addition to the bathroom? Sure. Am I obsessed with them and always talking about them? No. My husband and I have been together for 11 years and married for six. We have a beautiful four-year-old child together. He is a dutiful husband and father. Despite all this, he has always been very distant emotionally and can sometimes inadvertently do or say things that make me feel really unseen. Hmm. For instance, on the same day I opened my Christmas bidet, he asked me what I wanted to do for my big 40th birthday in 2023. The thing is, I turned 40 in 2022. He was there and just forgot somehow. I guess I was feeling especially forgotten unseen already when I opened my present. So I just blurted it out. Mm-hmm. Did you seriously get me a bidet for Christmas? He seemed taken aback and said, you love bidets. You are always talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, I literally do not know what he is talking about. I can recall discussing bidets twice in the past 10 years. <laughs> to top this all off, he went upstairs to install it only to find that it didn't fit. When he came down to tell me, quote, the bad news, end quote, I was visibly unbothered, which led him to become visibly offended. Do you even want this bidet, he asked. I very gently tried to explain that while bidets are a nice addition to a bathroom, I was confused about why, of all the things he chose, this for my Christmas gift. Is it a silent hint about my hygiene? He told me I'm hard to buy gifts for because I have a, quote, very particular style, end quote, that he does not know how to replicate. I told him I don't mind if he asked me what I want next year and rattled off a quick list of very obvious hobbies that I always need supplies for. Macrame, embroidery, tapestry weaving. When in doubt, a gift certificate for art supplies will always make me happy. I also told him it made me feel sad that he forgot my 40th birthday had already come and gone, which made him very defensively respond that I forget things all the time and he doesn't see why it's not okay when he does it. The outcome of this conversation was him sulking for 48 hours while I watched our four-year-old and try to work from home at the same time. Mm -hmm. Am I being unfair? I just want to feel like after 11 years, he knows me well enough to know that I would prefer craft supplies to a car wash for my asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, drag us then. Drag us, girl. Uh, in case anyone is wondering what I got him, he has been talking all year about wanting to get an electric guitar. So I got him one with a big bag and practice amp. Oh, gig bag and practice amp. He loves it. Okay. So now Ooh. we know this wasn't really about the bidet. This question wasn't really about the bidet. Took the words out of my mouth. This was not about the bidet at all. And this is what I get for taking this out of uh, the man right away without asking <laughs> follow-up questions. This is ex- this is exactly what you look like. You look like a fool. I, I think it's very clear that this is not about the bidet. And I also think, too, what concerns me is how clear you were about communicating ways he could give to you that would mean something to you because the the thing about gift giving is that at least for me I want whatever I'm giving the person to be well received I, I it's not necessarily about 
me, my identity as the person who picked the right gift. It's more about, am I doing something that is meaningful for my partner? And Mm -hmm. it seems like maybe the bidet was like an opportunity to have a conversation about how you communicate. And it seems like maybe it wasn't accepted. I don't necessarily know what to do from there. I don't know if it, if it makes sense to try to initiate that conversation more explicitly on the surface to say like, look, I know it's about the bidet, but I want to talk about like the fact that I don't feel seen, the fact that I don't feel valued. That's a really, that's a really hard thing to experience as a person who's just like in a relationship with another person. I imagine that compounded with like raising a child is like a whole mm-hmm. other set of complexities and stuff, stuff to to add to that but no you were not the asshole um and if anything it, he should have at least made sure it was the right type of bidet if nothing <laughs> else yeah just take a take you just got a decorative bidet you. you didn't yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think this feeling of Ooh. and i think it's it's tricky right because you know the yeah. soaking for I, I don't appreciate 48 hours of soaking oh, that yes because, that. because y'all gotta take care of this child so i don't appreciate him soaking for 48 whole hours because somebody else gotta do some work because you said you work in there watching the child yeah. so he can sulk no. if we don't, okay. we don't no. have children and neither of us can sulk for more than half a day because so, something has to go on with one of these animals <laughs> we gotta medicate the cat the dog, <laughs> something like that we can't and the, and i would assume a child i guess no, no, a child do, needs more. A four-year-old four four needs more four than, year old, yeah. Probably. So, so I don't appreciate the whole 48 hours. However, mm-hmm. I think that obviously what this felt was it's hard in, a, in the moment, right? Meaning it's hard in the moment of the gift when it's like, hey, you didn't get it right. Because Andy and I went over went through something like this, but early in our relationship when he got me. Your first, the first birthday, the very first we had been dating like seven months, eight months. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nine months because we got together was it March? Months. And then my birthday is December. So I, I would have thought you would have had some time to know a little better. But but I was approximate. <laughs> no, I understand. I was at least in the same. She likes zombies. I got her the walking, the first 50 issues of The Walking Dead mm. compendium. Because so she likes like zombies. Thick, but, I, but, but, and, but she hates comics. So I said, don't get me 50 issues. <laughs> I said, I don't know. <laughs> Ryan is so heavy. I didn't know how I was supposed to read it. When I look at the comics, I never know what order to look at the bubbles. I mean, it's not for me. But at least I was in the same. At least I was in the the on the right continent. No, no, it's true. But I'm saying it was one of those things where you know I opened a thing and I was yeah. like, cool. oh, it, the fact that she was crestfallen just it permeated <laughs> the entire city of New York. Rain started to come down like you could. Like, it was so obvious. Like and so that's hard. So I get. I get the husband feeling like I tried to do something nice and not getting like the, I, you know, getting happiness. I understand that, that, that making him feel bad, but at the same time, as you say, you know, to have been with someone 11 years and yeah, I think this question of, you know, and this might be one of those things. And again, this is, I'm not saying this to be glib and I'm not saying it as a cure all, but, but get divorced. No, go, go to couples therapy, get a third person, you know, especially I think again, in a world where, as we talked about, if y'all both have jobs and raise a child, there's not a lot of time in the day. And so it is very easy, I think, to, quote unquote, be un- be not seen by your partner. Because you get into a groove. You get into a rhythm. Yes. You go through the motions because y'all just trying to get to bedtime or whatever it is. And so 
maybe you do need an hour a week or every couple weeks to have a third party and just kind of talk through some of this stuff because there could be other reasons too where it's like he could be on autopilot and that's not for lack of love it could just be from tired overworked trying to get it through get it all done and then it's like oh fuck oh fuck christmas is coming uh uh bidets are nice Ladies like bidets. You know what I mean? You're just like, no, honey. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah, and uh, I worry. LL Cool Bidet was a. Uh, <laughs> Never no... interrupt Ryan for LL Cool Bidet. We start <laughs> there through the Zoom. We started talking at the same time. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I would just say, I, I liked it. I was there with you. I will say, I were, I think the, the advice of getting a third party is key here because I also worry about the long-term cost of feeling as though your partner doesn't see you. Yes. And you also did this really vulnerable thing of like being very honest about your feelings of like, cause I'm sure you were hurt and you were kind of confused. And at least in your telling of it, the way you communicated it was that like, I told him this is this is what I need or this is what something I would appreciate. And for that not to be received, I just worry about what that does to the long term health. And I also I, I say not to get into your business, but you wrote into the show. So I'm in your <laughs> business. I also worry about long term what it demonstrates to your child about what a relationship looks like and what respect Ooh. and care and a relationship looks like as well. Because you do deserve to be seen, as does your partner, as does your child. And I, I worry about, like, some of the self-sacrificing that we especially socialize toward toward women. What we model for children about what relationship dynamics are supposed to look like and what kind of support you can have. Because sometimes I wonder if people who grew up with parents who swallowed their needs grow up to be people who are afraid to ask for help mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. because uh, they feel they might have learned sometimes indirectly it is their responsibility to manage their own needs and feelings and even at four they might not understand everything or all of the dynamics that are going on but children are emotionally perceptive they understand daddy sulking they, you know what I mean? They, they understand do. 48 they hours of daddy sulking. Even even if they're not sulking towards the child, you can always feel that tension. I, I, I think that's very worthwhile. I think that's like a really valid point. I think especially, too, it is this question of, because I think the other thing that you don't really touch on here, you know, we, dutiful husband and father. Dutiful. He's, no, he, he does write what he's going to no, write, no, but no, it's has just... always been very distant emotionally. And can sometimes do or say things that inadvertently make me feel unseen because this is why the reason why I had to look that up because I want to know if this is who this person has always been. Mm-hmm. And now perhaps it is rubbing you the wrong way more than normal uh-huh. or if this was something that has you know, happened in recent years. But the reason I said I, when I kind of like ironically said dutiful after you said it is because it makes it sound like there the husband is there. And by the way, it is interesting we don't know the gender of the writer, but it's true. We've all made we've all made the person anonymous. We've all made her a uh, she in this, and this it That's feels true. like because because it, it really does feel like a, a very like cishet kind of standard relationship in the in the way it is. But like the dutiful thing 
is like it makes it sound like the husband is just there like because they are supposed to be there like the word dutiful the that's word what it, dutiful that's to me to reads as if like as if like I am, I am playing the role of husband as opposed to and father as opposed to it being something that i wanted yes. i understand the connotation i do and i will say too i would hope that you that your partner would be able to also articulate what the sulking was about too because okay i'm i'm going to be pretty i, I want to be very careful and delicate about how i i word this cuz i don't want to say i don't want to attribute all unpleasant behavior in a in a relationship also to like neurodivergence or other stuff too but sometimes like as somebody who sulks as somebody who as we talked about last week deals with rejection sensitivity dysphoria mm-hmm. as somebody who like um is neurospicy myself i sometimes react very strongly to something that i perceive as rejection and i also have been I've also had people experience me as rude when I wasn't aware of that either. Mm-hmm. That I wasn't aware that that was the way that I was coming across. And so I'm not trying to project, diagnose, or attribute, but I would also hope that he, the partner, um, is able to articulate what their emotional response was also about too, like in the spirit of generosity. Cause this is somebody you're married to. So uh, I'm assuming we're all approaching in the spirit of like generosity and understanding. But I think maybe even also understanding that more deeply is potentially an opportunity for more intimacy and potentially resolution or, if nothing else, clarity. Because and I also I think hopefully they're able to articulate it and hopefully you're also that results in strategies for managing it, too, because you can't be on your own as a parent for two days. Right. At a time. You can't be on your own as a parent for long stretches. And so if someone's having a moment and they're like, this is, I'm overwhelmed and I need to do this or I need to understand this and process this. And then also what does their coming down from that look like? Are they, is it that they've sulked and now it's done? And so it's not to be talked about anymore. Or is it like I've gone through my process and now let's open this back up for further conversation. Cause I think yes. that that's also an important dynamic very as well. Yes. Very, very true. And I will say this as someone who is not neurospicy, but have acted like this in the past, that this is defensiveness. This is you, they, if, if it is not a neurospicy thing, it is someone who, who again, maybe a straight A student who were like, well, I know all the right answers for everything. And when they don't get the answers right, then they react, then they react like a child and are like sulk. And I know that feeling and it for the husband in this, it is they need to get past their own defensiveness and their own need to be right all the time. If that's what it is. And uh, it's okay to be wrong. And it's it's okay to inadvertently hurt someone's feelings as long as you make amends for it afterwards. Right. And don't repeatedly do it the same time. Because I think there are two things at play here. There is like, it doesn't seem like you've paid attention to me. And who I am. And then another thing too, it's like, and again, right, we're talking about this in May. This is Christmas. So obviously months have passed. By the time this person hears this, I'm sure they have come down from this initial um, frustration. But I still think there's there's worth like getting a third party and talking some of this through because this is the easiest way to build up a resentment. Because you have not only is like you don't seem to know what I like, but also you forgot how old I am. 
talk about not present. Yeah. And like that's that is like not <laughs> yeah. present. And it and again, that not present may not be personal. It's not necessarily that they don't want to be in the relationship or they're doing something else as much as they are, again, underwater. Who knows what's going on in their head? If they're not, you know, again, somebody who is um by the way, not distant present, emotionally. Not present in many different uh versions of the word. Hello, not present, not giving good presents, mm. work it mm-hmm. out. I really tried there. It no, did, you, you made it work. It was a little bit <laughs> but because I know too, you we landed. are bad at presents. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm bad at presents. Like I'm always like, "What do you want?" Like I literally like tell me. And my mother is a person who says she wants nothing, but really she wants something. And it wasn't until this moment we're you, we're recording this the day after Mother's Day, you guys. And I was like, "Okay, I got a present for her now." The day after, like I found in my head, my brain was like, "Oh, this is what this person would like." And it's not that I don't care. It's that I want to get you something that is valuable to you, something that like you will enjoy. Like I don't want to just gonna get it to get it. I want it to be something in yes. line with your interests, your values. And so if it's not that, I'm not gonna spend the money just to be like, "Look what you got a thing. Do you mm. want to take Here's a, a chachki? Yeah, like I don't, I don't do that. But then I know, for instance, as someone with a parent who likes stuff. I have to like be better about that and learn that kind of thing. So I can understand not quite getting it, but I think the conversation that y'all need to have maybe a few times, maybe with um, an impartial listener who can help uh, translate is when you don't remember these things, it feels like you don't care about me. Mm. Yes. When that's what you're feeling. Yes. You don't, you don't care. And then let your husband explain. Yes, I do care. But okay, so then why isn't this happening? And then you guys figure out where that disconnect is. Yeah, because I could I could see a dynamic where from the, just the lens around gift giving, I hope that I hope my my partner would describe me like <laughs> kind of terms. But I will say, uh, in terms of the gift giving, I'm not someone who has a lot of deep emotional attachment around gift giving on certain certain days. I am sort of the person where like. I saw this and I thought of you and I wanted to get it for you and I'll get that for you whenever. But like, and since I have been off Facebook, I don't remember nobody's birthday. It's <laughs> such a shame. That That is really what the app is for is the birthday aggregator. And I'm not on it anymore. And so I'm always in my mind worried, especially when I miss people's birthdays or something that they're under the impression that I don't care about them or that I don't love them or that I don't, but it's just the way my mind works and what I latch on to. And so maybe it it warrants also having a meta conversation around what gift giving means to you. Because for people for whom I'm in close relationship, if a birthday is a really significant event to them, it's on my Google calendar. I'm going to get a reminder and might send an interim reminder to remind me to get the gift and another reminder remind me to get the card. But I will do the thing that is about all showing up in in a way that allows me to give a gift that feels meaningful to that person. And also even like having honest communication too, that even my forgetting is not, it's about the fact that my brain is broke. It's not even, (laughs) (laughs) it's not judgment at all. And so hopefully you're able to have some of these meta conversations. And I, and I would say take inventory of if you're not, if you're not having those conversations or if if there's not an openness to it, having a real because I, I th- we started off talking about this bidet but there's more shit at play than just the toilet <laughs> there we go that was one i tried that's that's it i don't know you it. you nailed it that's it <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, but I do think, I do think it, it seems to be at the heart of, of a bigger issue because I think when there's really good communication there, there is nothing more beautiful and wonderful than a functional bidet. <laughs> nothing. It sounds like they need a spiritual bidet. Right. <laughs> The look Ryan, the look on Naomi's face. Ryan, 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 Ryan. Thank Ryan. you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for giving us church a TED Talk a spa day, all <laughs> in one luxurious <laughs> episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast and the highlight of like my week. I, I love this so much. Thank you for having me. Of course, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.